Throughout a period of almost two decades, seven sets of lovers were slaughtered while making love in the hills surrounding Florence, many of the female victims suffering sickening mutilations. Yet despite one of the longest and most expensive manhunts in history, police have failed to peel back the mask on Italy's darkest and most brutal phantom. Real Crime presents The Monster of Florence The morning of 7th June 1981 was a quiet one in the unsuspecting town of Scandici. Residents shuffled between their morning visits to church and their homes for lunch. But in the fields just outside town, the sweltering heat of the summer was unrelenting and stifling for a group of carabinieri marshals, police officers and forensic examiners who attempted to make sense of the scene before them. Sat inside a copper-coloured car was a young man. The hole in his left temple and the spider-webbed window to his right, tinted red with blood, was only the beginning of the horrors of this crime scene. Behind the car lay the sprawled, nude body of a woman. She too had been shot, but between her parted legs, her pubic region had been cut away, leaving a bloody and gaping wound. The victims were 21-year-old Carmela Danuccio and her fiancé, 30-year-old Giovanni Foggi. The pair, who had been seen at a local hangout for young people the previous evening, had slipped away from their friends before midnight. As they nestled into the hills to make love, they were ambushed and killed. Welcome to The Real Crime Podcast with me, Tanita. And me, Ben. Now, Ben, before we even get into this... On a scale of 1 to 10, how confusing do you reckon this case is? Um, I'm so confused that I'm probably on a minus 1. Is, really? Well, well, minus 1. I minus don't know, I, 1? Yeah, I'm, I'm confused about the scale even. You're right? even confused <laughs> about simple numbers. <laughs> right, right. T- tell us why. Right, the reason this case is so confusing is because it just seems like most of Florence was involved in this case. We have... 14, no. 14 victims. 14 victims. We have about a dozen odd suspects. Um, All sorts of people flying into the mix, journalists and prosecutors and just basically everybody. There's even a suggestion that a satanic cult was involved. And just to confuse people further, the prosecutor involved in this Monster Florence case went on to... um, be the prosecutor at the Amanda Knox case as well. Let's wade in with some stats. It's okay. Dad's time. I'm I'm glad you did that. Thank you. I I feel at ease. I like my song. Um, So bullet casings were found at the crime scene that uh, showed the killer had used this 22 calibre Winchester pistol loaded with Series H bullets. And the medical examiner determined that the knife used to carve out the victim's bits was a a scuba knife. Yeah, and the thing is with this case, because it was so gruesome and it just kept happening again and again, you know, the press, they had a field day with the amount of details that they were given or they'd even seen themselves. 
um, that this story just got grislier and grislier as the years went by, really. And what kind of brought it to the the forefront of the people of Florence was that going back to 1974, there had been a really similar case. And these two young adults had been getting it on in their car and someone... What were their names, Tanita? Their names were... Right, let's try this. <laughs> Pasquale Gentilgore and his fiancée, Stefiana Petini. Oh, that's much better on that's the second good, take. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting name, gentle call. Anyway. Maybe he had a gentle call. Aww. But he was killed. And so <laughs> they were getting freaky in their car and some freaky individual came in and stabbed Stefi- Stefania? Stefania. Came and stabbed Stefania 97 times. And then inserted a grapevine into her hoo-ha for good measure. Wow. Uh, yeah, and so they they found this uh, twenty two caliber Winchester series H bullets at the scene of this crime as well, which sort of linked the two together. Yeah. Uh, originally, they questioned um, an, an ambulance ambulance driver called Enzo Spalletti. Spaghetti. Uh, oh, stop it, please! <laughs> and apparently, he knew too much. He confessed that he was a peeping tom. Uh, and he had seen the pair in the car, um, but at the time when he was spying on them, getting freaky, um, he said they they were alive and they were alive and kicking. They, they, <laughs> I, I don't know why that's funny. Why is that funny? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so police thought. Spalletti knew more than he was actually letting on, and they arrested him. On 23rd October, news of a new couple having been slaughtered in the Bartolina fields caused police to release Spalletti without charge. Witnesses who had driven past the scene outside of Calizano said they had seen a nervous-looking man in a red Alfa Romeo. The forensic identification team drew up the suspect described, but the EFIT was not released to the public for fear that it would incite a witch hunt in a community that was already pointing fingers at family members. Some believed the killer was a doctor or a surgeon. After all, who else would have the stomach to mutilate the women? Local journalist Mario Spezzi had a new identity for the killer, the monster of Florence. The police couldn't pursue the case for the remainder of the year thanks to the contamination of every crime scene to that date after the investigating officers had failed to cordon them off. The beast struck again the following summer. Paolo Maynardi and Antonella Migliorini were discovered in a ditch in Montespatoli on 20th June 1982. Migliorini had died at the scene. Maynardi, still alive, was rushed to hospital, but he couldn't be saved. Journalists were instructed to report that the male victim had revealed a telling detail to the police while in hospital, hoping to scare the monster into making a mistake. An e-fit was finally released, but the results were fruitless and the monster remained at large. The case spun on its axis when police received a clipping from a newspaper report on a 1968 murder. Married woman Barbara Locci and her lover Antonio Lobianco were shot as they made love inside Lobianco's car in Signa, 
her son was asleep in the back seat. The pair had been mid-clinch when they were shot at point-blank range with a Beretta, loaded with none other than 22 caliber Winchester Series H bullets. Locci's husband, Stefano Mele, confessed to the murders and was jailed. However, the gun was never recovered. Mele said he had tossed it into the nearby river after the shootings, but despite an exhaustive search, it remained lost. While residing at a halfway house for convicts, Mele was interviewed by Spezzi, who was surprised when Mele told him they need to figure out where that pistol is, otherwise there will be more murders. They will continue to kill. Who was this they Mele referred to? Did he have accomplices the night he killed his wife? Had he taken the fall for others? Where were they now? And where was the gun? So there were more suspects. Of course there were. Yeah. And they were immigrants. Damn Sardinian immigrants. Coming over to Florence and stealing their murders. (laughs) 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 So... They're these guys, Giovanni and Francesco and Salvatore Vinci, who had moved to Florence in the early 1960s. Uh, Locci's son, who had witnessed the shooting, uh, recalled to police that he had seen three men at the scene, uh, but he was later discarded as a reliable witness. Salvatore and Melli had this kind of weird setup, though, because they all lived together and Mele's wife was thrown into the mix and then Mele's wife and Salvatore became lovers and mm. it just all got a bit... A bit healed. of a love... Not even a love triangle, that's like a love square, isn't it? Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> right. If we needed any more confusion, now we've got some kind of four-way yeah. thing going on. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. The Vinci brothers there was this question over had they been Mele's accomplices? They had come in at the right time. And, yeah, there was this question over whether they were involved. And, you know, had this pistol been brought over from Sardinia and then kind of passed between the three of them for these murders? Uh, But there was no definitive proof that this gun was still in their possession. So then that makes things more confusing. This gun is still floating about somewhere. So they, they could place Francesco in the area um, near the scene of the crimes. And they also found um, an abandoned car days after the Montespertoli killings near the scene. And they could trace that back to Francesco. He was arrested in 1982. And for a while, the monster of Florence went quiet. Yay! Um, but then he struck again on the 9th of September, 1983. Oh. In an unusual fashion for the monster, the pair attacked were German students Wilhelm Meyer and Jens Rusch, two men who had travelled to Italy to celebrate Meyer getting a scholarship that summer. They had been in the back of a camper van when they were shot through the windows. Police believe that the monster had mistaken Rusch for a woman because of his long blonde hair. Prosecutors working on the case were sceptical about Francesco being the monster, but they suspected he knew who the monster was. Their next move was to arrest his nephew, Antonio. While in custody, police attempted to play both Vinci's off against each other in the hope that one would start talking. 
They also arrested Piero Muccherini, Mele's brother-in-law, and Giovanni Mele, his brother. With the clan behind bars, the games between the accused and the police continued until the morning of 30th July 1984, when Claudio Stefanacci and Pia Rontini were discovered in Vicio. They had been slain in the typical monster fashion. Rontini's left breast had also been ripped off, as well as her pubic area mutilated. The clan were released shortly after. During the final weeks of the following summer, on 9th September, another couple were discovered. This time the monster had made an effort to hide the bodies, zipping the female victim, 36-year-old Nadine Morio, inside a tent and attempting to camouflage the male's body, 25-year-old Jean-Michel Kravichvili, with branches and leaves. Morio's vagina and left breast had been removed. The heat of her tomb had devastating effects on her body. The San Castiano murders were the last of the monster's reign, but the Carabinieri and the police refused to rest, offering a reward of half a billion Italian lira, around £200,000 at the time, for information that would lead to the arrest of the monster. A letter pointed the finger at Pietro Pacciani, a farmer from Vicio, who had served time for killing a man who had tried to seduce his girlfriend in 1951. Once he had bludgeoned him to death, Pacciani raped his cheating girlfriend next to the corpse. The investigating judge, Mario Rotella, was sure Salvatore Vinci was the monster and that the gun used in the murders hadn't left the Sardinian clan he believed to be involved in the 1968 slayings. He served Salvatore a notice, informing him of his suspect status, and at the end of 1985, the Sardinian native was extradited back to the island. He faced trial two years later, accused of murdering his wife in 1961, who had supposedly committed suicide. But Salvatore was acquitted, and was never seen again after he walked out of the court a free man. After Salvatore disappeared, Rotella was forced to remove himself from the investigation and hand it over to the Polizia di Stato chief inspector and head of the anti-monster crime squad, Ruggero Purigini, who started the investigation from scratch. This gets more ridiculous now. Um, no evidence or samples from the crime scene have been preserved. That uh, seems like a fundamental part of a crime investigation. Yeah. And they've just got rid of them. Yeah, I mean, that, that might partly be due to the fact that the original crime scenes were contaminated. So maybe they just didn't have anything from there that they could use. But Perugini... He eliminated suspects until eventually he got this chap, Pacciani. And he thought that, uh, as per Pacciani's statement from his trial, he said that when Pacciani saw his girlfriend bare her left breast to the travelling salesman with whom she had snuck away with later, um, it triggered a, a murderous rage and um, some kind of revenge against women, I guess. What, because she'd shown him her good breast? The left breast? Uh, her good breast. Her good breast. That's right, which should only be for him. <laughs> so they, they went to search Pacciani's home in 1992 and they found purely circumstantial evidence, um, including this Series H bullet found in the earth outside his home. 
and that was the straw that broke the camel's back, so investigators moved in. But, I mean, all of it, all the evidence was really flimsy, and these Series H bullets aren't exactly rare in Italy, but that was the link between him and all seven killings. He did say he was innocent, and he went to trial in April 1994, but even though he was adamant that he had nothing to do with these murders, the jury just weren't convinced, seemingly, and they convicted him for six of the seven double homicides. That's ridiculous. That's quite a lot, considering it was such flimsy evidence. But Pacciani was put behind bars for life, and everyone thought, great, that is the end of it. But it wasn't, was it? No. So there were there were rumours that this bullet was planted, mm. and this was kind of fuelled by uh, Spezzi's book, which was uh, called the, the Monster of Florence, A True Story, and it was um, uh, co-authored by a guy called Douglas Preston. And they expressed out that the bullet was even originally there at Pacciani's home, that it was actually a plant by the prosecutor at the time. Yeah, they say that because he'd wiped the slate clean, he basically needed to make sure he'd done this right, otherwise he looked like a bit of an idiot. Mm. And the whole case really just would have gone to shit. But, you know, there was this thing about Pacciani, which no one really considered, which was that during the murder of the French tourists, Pacciani had an alibi. Which was? Um... I'm sh- farming, I presume? <laughs> he was a farmer. So he was off farming. He was off yeah. farming, listening to the Florence version of Barry White for his own amusement. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the most ridiculous things about the whole Pacciani trial that makes it seem even more of a farce was that he he wasn't a fit guy. He was in the latter years of his life. He was not healthy. He had multiple bypass surgeries on the, on his heart. And yet one of the victims, actually a young man, sprinted away from the scene of the crime. And it was suggested that he had sprinted after him, caught him, murdered him. And the murder was ferocious enough that he had enough energy at the end of that sprint that he was supposed to do to catch up with this young man. The blood was everywhere. So they reckon Pacciani and his ill health and older age had sprinted. And caught a younger, much fitter young man. And, yeah, I mean, that bothered most people. The Supreme Court of Cassation quashed the verdict in 1996. However, the police received confessions from four of Pacciani's friends tying him to the killings. A prostitute, Gabriella Giribelli, her pimp, Norberto Galli, former postman, Mario Vanni, and village drunkard, Giancarlo Lotti, confessed they had helped Pacciani commit the murders. Vanni and Lotti were both given jail sentences of life and 24 years respectively for being the monster's accomplices. Pacciani died in 1998 from a suspected heart attack before he could be brought in for a second trial. Giribelli had confessed that they were all part of a secret cult and had been ordered to kill and sacrifice the local youths by high-ranking figures in the city in a black magic ritual. Spezzi continued to investigate the case through his journalism, 
not convinced of the theory that a satanic cult was behind the killings. Michel Gutari was the chief police investigator on the monster case from 1995 to 2003 and wrote his own book, indicating that the murders were the work of a satanic cult, a theory Spetsy and Preston ridiculed. Instead, Spetsy's mind settled on the Vinci's nephew Antonio as the killer, but the Sardinian has denied this theory. So there's a familiar face in all of this for those who are familiar with the Amanda Knox case. Prosecutor Giuliano Minini, uh, he also presided over the Amanda Knox case. Well, that fills me with some confidence. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is the same guy who was a bit Sherlock Holmes obsessed, strutted around with a, a pipe in his mouth. He was a, quite a controversial figure. Yeah. Well, I mean, Amanda Knox was uh, arrested and imprisoned and then later acquitted. Um, and imprisoned and acquitted. And, and imprisoned and acquitted. acquitted, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, he was also um, a, a figure in, in this Monster Florence case as well. And in 2001, he claimed that a doctor who had committed suicide just weeks after the final murders in the Monster Florence case... Um, had been member of a satanic cult. Um, <laughs> just to add confusion, let's just throw in a satanic cult. <laughs> yeah, and not only that, he accused this Dr. Francesco Narducci of being the the keeper of the body parts of these women. And these were taken from the women at the height of their orgasm because... At this point, they were thought to be the most powerful kind of sacrifice that can be offered to the devil. That is so gross. Yeah. That is just horrific. It's, it's something out of a Stephen King novel. Maybe, maybe he's uh, moved on from Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah. Well, actually, you say that. Someone who was at the trial of the Monster of Florence case, it was the guy who wrote The Silence of the Lambs. Really? Thomas Harris? Yeah, Thomas really? Harris was at this trial. Oh, my God. The trial of Pacciani. That's a that's a great fact. Yeah. Wow. And that's okay. how that's how he got I think it was the character for now I think this is right. So if it's not for really Hannibal sorry. Lecter. No, for Buffalo Bill. Oh okay, right. So he got his So this oh, oh yeah, obviously this was um uh pre Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. So, yeah. Ah. Okay. So another good, familiar good, face. Good good fact, Tanita. Thank you. At least there's some clarity in all of this. And so Going back to what we were saying about this prosecutor chap, um, there were four witnesses who were imprisoned for their alleged supposed part in the killing of these couples. This was in June 2005. And a pharmacist then came into the mix. And he basically became another prime suspect. His wife reported that on the night of these, this French couple that had been killed, that he'd been acting suspiciously. And to make things worse, when they searched his home, found so much porn that they just arrested him. I'm looking at this. <laughs> Ten boxes of pornographic material and paperwork. I mean, this is 2004. What's pornographic paperwork? Yeah, yeah. I'm not. That's sure. an odd thing, isn't yeah. it? That is that's like accountancy porn or something. <laughs> <Accountancy> <laughs> I just yeah, lots lots of equations and. Um, but the pharmacist 
was acquitted, like everybody else in this case. And then, like, I don't know how coincidental this is, but he killed himself in 2002 as well. Yeah. Um, and it, it kind of, it just, just pings back and forth. If uh, They thought the gun used in the killings that had been located um, in a closet at the Potenza Carabinieri office, but then it was just ruled out again leaving more questions than the original case begin with. I feel like the summary of this case should just be the police thought they had it, then they didn't. Then they thought they had it, then they didn't. They prosecuted someone, then he died. Then he was let out. Not in that order, though. (laughs) As of 2017, former legionary Giampiero Vigilanti, 86, has been entered into the list of suspects. Vigilante denies any involvement in the killings, telling investigators, look elsewhere, I am not the monster. He also refutes the theory that Pacciani was involved in the killings. Each participant in the investigation has their own theory. Some believe Pacciani was the killer and that his merry band of accomplices have been sufficiently detained. For others, the Sardinian native who was never seen again after his trial for murder is still a condemned man. There remain many unanswered questions about the case. However, the most popular theory, given the Italian police's inability to successfully conduct a murder investigation, is that the real killer never has and never will be caught. <laughs> 